0: Let's look at Matthew five and just uh, spend a few moments looking at this. I don't have a lot to uh, actually. I was I was debating going into the next little passage because it, it actually talks a lot about discipleship, and since we've been talking a little bit on discipleship last Sunday night, and I thought, well, that would be nice, but it was just there's so much there, and I thought if we were to do that, I would I would feel terrible for just not giving it enough attention, and uh, so we waited. We'll wait till Sunday next Sunday to do that. But this this week. Uh, we're just going to look again back at these, and I want to kind of group them in a different, in a, in a different way. I want to see these uh, these beatitudes from a different light. It actually started from an outline that I was reading some things that Warren Wiersbe had written, and uh, I saw that, and then I I looked at it myself and thought I I disagree a little bit. I'm allowed to do that, and I and I rearranged it a little bit into something that I felt was a little bit more uh, suitable. And so you see that in your in your notes there, and we see this these beatitudes are, are different Christian perspectives, if you will. Uh, I wrote, I quoted a few times from a guy uh, William Hendrickson. I'll quote him one more time this, this afternoon. He says at least in general, the the general trend of the beatitudes follow the actual course of this developing new life. And so we saw that a little bit from this uh, this morning, and with what we talk about this morning, I would like for you to hopefully see what where I'm trying to Go back and take you again. Uh, it's kind of like when you go, when you go to a place for the first time, you're not really paying attention. And you go back the second time, you're like, Oh, I didn't realize that was there. I didn't realize that was there. And that's what I kind of like to see as we go back through this. So let's let me just read it again, and follow along verses one through twelve. Seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets which were before you. See this in uh, three different uh, attitudes. The Attitude doesn't necessarily encompass the meaning, but I couldn't think of another word that, that fully uh, understood what, I'm, what I was trying to, was trying to say. But there's there's a, there's a definitely a progression, but there's also a the way that they are grouped does pay attention a little bit to different groups of people. So we see the first two, I deal with an attitude towards myself. And we'll go back and, and, and see that a little bit more closely in this time in just a moment. Then after that, then it, it, it turns towards God, my attitude towards God, and the majority of these are that. And then I see my attitude towards the world at the end. And then I wanted to share a little bit... uh about this uh, idea of being persecuted at the end so we see the first things uh, the first two things here my attitudes towards self is that firstly uh, they're they're poor in spirit uh, they recognize their failure they recognize that i am nothing i am spiritually bankrupt i have uh, i have nothing i am nothing and then that attitude that mourning uh is the attitude to change and it's an attitude change about it i i want to do something about it i don't and i Right now, I'm just I'm just so frustrated at my sin and, and mourn. And I'm, I'm 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 truly repentant. That's really that's what leads to repentance. Is this? I don't, why would I repent if I don't like the way I'm going? Right? You know, Jesus preached repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Uh, I have no need to repent if I don't see anything wrong with where I'm going right now. The only and so the only way I'm going to repent is if I first realize I'm going the wrong way. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. When your husband, you know, he's lost. But you haven't convinced him yet. He's not going to turn around until he knows he's lost or until he's tired of exploring, or however we, however we call it. But uh, if, I, if I feel like I'm going the right way, then why turn around? And so this morning is that, is that realization that, oh, my goodness, I need to do something. And so then that's these attitudes towards myself or about myself, the, the perspective, if you will. And these aren't necessarily, it, in a way, I can kind of see, uh, the salvation process working through this, but it's not limited to that because we're still poor in spirit. These are followers of Jesus who uh, who hear the message, and He's saying they're poor in spirit. They re- they still realize nothing. They still realize that uh, this is this is not me. This is Christ. Uh, so th- so they 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 see themselves in this light. Then the third, the second part is the third beatitude begins. This attitudes towards God, and it is. Uh, firstly meekness it is it is uh, being uh, being sh- being not strong because i i'm weak right i'm poor in spirit but it's it's submitting my will saying you know what this is not working everything i've done in life if you lived the life uh before you know if you lived a significant portion of time before you came to christ you understand this a little bit more than those of us who kind of grew up in this where you did your own thing and you tried it your own way and you realize this is just not working and this is not how it was supposed to be and every time i try i fail i mess it up it gets worse and, and look all around from from the first man and woman until today uh we're really good at messing everything up and just bungling everything that uh, that it should be simple so it should be pretty easy to put together and yet because of our fallen nature we are just just inconsistently we're, we're just horrible we're just not the good people uh, and and this uh this meekness is the, is the turning to god and saying okay god i've done it my way and i realize now it doesn't work your way is what i want i'm going to submit to you and it's like that uh, that the thing i read this morning meek like a warhorse, is 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 saying you know what i i have a will but i i am surrendered to your will i'm not going to do what i want to do i'm going to do it you want to do this. So Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will but yours. You know, Jesus said, I, I, you know, let the cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine. And in there he, he revealed that human side of him, saying there's, there's God's will and there's man's will. And Jesus, who is perfectly submitted to the Father's will, said, I don't want what the human side wants. I want what the Father wants. And that's, and that's what meekness is. And that's why he's the example of meekness. It's that power under under control of another, not under my control. It's not self-control. Being meek doesn't mean you're self-controlled. It means you're submitted to the will of another. You're humbled. and You have no agenda of your own. And you're you're seeking the agenda of another person. So then the fourth one here is the hungering and thirsting after righteousness, desiring to be filled with something new. Uh, Again, I'm empty. Tried my way. it's Not filling me. Turning to God and then saying, okay, God, fill me. I submit to you. Fill me, and God promises uh, the, the hunger. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Then it's the mercy. Having been loved and forgiven, now I love and forgive. Yeah. Showing mercy. Remember the uh, the illustration, the story that Jesus told about the man who who owed. Uh, I can't remember the exact number, but he owed a ton of money. Let's say million dollars to his master, and there's no way he was ever going to be able to pay it back. And his master had mercy on him, and he said, "You know what? I forgive it all." And he did. And then that man turned around and found a guy who owed him ten bucks. And he threw him in prison and he said, you will pay me every dollar you owe me and, and, and I'm going to take it one way or the other. And then the, 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 the first master found out about it and he threw him in prison. He said, I showed you extreme mercy way more than you needed to, to, to show this other guy. And you couldn't even find it to, to, to give that much. And and Jesus is teaching there about, about this, this idea of mercy and forgiveness, being being given mercy, being shown mercy, being forgiven—I now turn and show it and, and uh, forgive other people. And then, the, and then the whatever number it is, the pure in heart. This is, uh, in a way, this is sanctification. This is growing closer to God. Now, I didn't bring it out this morning, but there is not going to be a point where you're going to be a pure, you know, perfectly pure in heart. Where in this life you are going to be the man. I mean, you don't have anything wrong with you anymore. You never deal with sin. You never have. Uh, an impure thought. You, you know, your, your heart is desperately wicked. The Bible says, Jeremiah 17. Uh, but we, so that's why in a way we see these as things to do now, but also we see them at the end as well. Uh, one day I will be pure in heart. I will be in a body without sin. Uh, and and those are the people who see God. That's why Paul said, I think it was Paul, we see in a glass darkly. Right now it's, we kind of see it, but we don't. But one day then face to face, well, that, that happens when we are when we are you know, the, the, the body of sin is gone that flesh is, is gone from us all right, and then when with this attitude towards God, then it changes my outlook my attitude towards the world, and I change how I look at the world around me in, in, in these two ways so the first is the peacemaker greatly desiring to make peace in the world around me now we have to be careful because we, we're, we're not saying that we want peace at any price you know I want to just want to get along I'm never going to say anything to to make anybody mad jesus who is the prince of peace stirred up a bunch of you know strife in his day and time uh the verse that jesus said uh, the uh, i came not to, i didn't, didn't come to bring peace i came to bring a sword and, and and it seems to contradict what he was saying earlier about you know coming to bring peace but it wasn't necessarily that his goal was to not bring peace but to bring violence and, and, and it, it was the result of what he was going to be what of his coming going to bring problems because that's where the persecution comes in he's going to bring peace he's going to make peace and those who who by faith you know trust in him and in repentance uh, are going to have peace with god and they're going to seek peace but the others are going to push away from it, and that's where we get to that persecution where we say uh, I, I i don't want this guy I, I, and and you know, I don't think that any of us really understand persecution like they, they understood it in that time. Nobody, as far as I know in this room, has ever had the run for our life, has ever you know, significantly lost something because we claim Christ, because we tried to do the right thing. But you know, nowadays, when you do the right thing, have you ever, um, and this is so simple and it's so silly to even use this as an example, but uh, it shows kind of where our society has gone. Have you ever been to the grocery store and you got too much change? You turn around and bring it back, and you get that weird look. Like, why are you doing this? You're like, because it's not my money. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, if, if I did this without your approval, it'd be called stealing. You know, but they, they think it's just an incredible thing that you would do something like that. Why? Because human nature would say, well, so that's your fault that you gave me 20 bucks extra. It's your fault. So I'm just keeping that. That's this is mine now. But so, but that's the by the you know the fact that I am returning it, saying I want what is right, even if it doesn't benefit. I want what is right. And what is right is this is your money. And they're blown away by that sometimes because, you know, really they should expect it, right? If I'm a store owner and and I did that and you brought it back, I would, in a way, I'd be like, well, yeah, that is my money. Now, I would be surprised in the fact that, oh, you did that. You know, I'd even be surprised if a person who claimed to be a Christian did that because it seems like most Christians don't, don't follow that code of ethics, if you will. But when I'm seeking after righteousness... Uh, I want what is right. I hunger for that. I thirst for that. Even if it doesn't benefit me in the in the present in the temporary. Uh, I want what it is and and that kind of that's that's that goes along with that peace. I want what is I want to make peace with everyone around me. I want peace with God for myself. I want peace with you as a church body, between me and you. I want peace with my neighbors. I want peace in the world. I mean, we pray for peace. We we look around at all the things that are going on in the world and we think you know what you know we're, you know all, every politician wants to make his name uh, by bringing peace to the Middle East you know and we want we want peace we desire peace we're tired of the fighting and the war and the, and, the, and the hurting and, the, and the, the loss and the suffering all that we want that peace but there's this is the second part of it is the persecution and so then that's the last part they're not being surprised when the world rejects god and his peace Now, this is how god's people are viewing life are supposed to view life and we behave accordingly but this is what i wanted to uh point uh, just take a little bit of extra time on because at the end of it the first imperative the first command that jesus gave was this idea of rejoice and he said it right after talking about being persecuted twice he said there in verse number uh verse number 10 persecuted for righteousness sake and then verse 11 when men shall revile you or insult you persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. so all of these things are being done because, simply because you follow jesus they're lying about you they're insulting you they're persecuting you and basically i think he's covered the whole gambit here for the sake of righteousness for doing what is right or for following christ and he says when that happens rejoice what <laughs> you know again if i remove this from christ it doesn't make a lot of sense Why would I do this? Why would I rejoice? Be exceeding glad. Not because I'm being persecuted, but because it says, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So I wrote three things there that uh, I can rejoice in persecution. Uh, Let me just share those and then then we'll we'll call it uh, complete. Uh, First one is that when I am persecuted, I can rejoice because I am in good company. Firstly, with Christ, because I am suffering with Christ. But we see here in the verse of Matthew five twelve there that I am in good company of the prophets, because every prophet from the very beginning until the the last one uh, was killed, uh, they they suffered persecution. Study church history, and we find that uh, uh, even uh, you know since uh, the time of Christ uh, was passed, people suffered greatly for the faith, and we we read about them in, in books like Fox's Book of Martyrs, and we read about them. Uh, in the newspaper, even today, about the, the underground churches in, in China and the Middle East, and these places, and uh, people who suffer. And I'm not talking about people who who had to park a little further away from the, the church because someone took their spot, and so they they suffered. You know, they had to walk a little bit extra to get into church. And I'm not talking about someone who took your pew and you had to sit a little further back than you like to, or whatever it may be, or the uh, you know whatever those those things that we call suffering. But the real persecution. And I'm not even really talking about when someone laughs at us because we're Christian or someone thinks it's funny because you're praying in the restaurant or whatever it means. I'm talking about the real stuff, the stuff that I've never en- en- endured. Uh, but th- when that happens, he says we can rejoice because we're in good company. I want to, i want you to go to 1 Peter 4 and we're going to read a couple of verses out of here and we'll see the rest of those from there. I was going to read, I read uh, two verses from 1 Peter this morning and one of them comes from this passage that I wanted to share with you. So 1 Peter in 1 Peter 3, it was when he said uh, that we can be happy because we are persecuted for righteousness. In 1 Peter three fourteen, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. But when we get to 1 Peter 4, and we look in verse number 13, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other man's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So the first thing, when I'm persecuted, I can rejoice because I'm in good company, sharing both in the sufferings of the prophets and those who've gone on before me, but also verse 13 tells me there that I'm suffering with Christ. And we read that again there. It says that uh, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. I didn't suffer like Jesus did, but I'm suffering for his namesake. Much like when the the apostles in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 5, when they were commanded not to preach in Jesus' name, they went and did it anyway. And the 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 Sanhedrin brought them back in and beat them, and they said, "Don't do it again." And they went out, and the Bible says that they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. They were supposed to. The intention was for them to go out and say, "We're never doing that again." I learned my lesson. But they rejoiced, and they said, "We got to get beat and suffer for the name of Christ. We got to be a partaker in the sufferings of Christ." You have to scratch your head for a minute and think, "I don't." want to partake in someone's suffering you know i i don't want to share the pain i want you to take it all but when we when we understand what what he's saying here you know it's going to happen you don't get to choose if you're going to get persecuted or not. you make peace you seek righteousness and the persecution comes but when it happens we rejoice not because we're being persecuted because we're weird and we like pain but because we we have this common bond any of you guys uh, or ladies in the military would you raise your hand who, who's in the military who are our veterans here Okay, Just a few of you. Okay, There's a common bond when you meet someone who has served in the same branch of service or even in the same unit or you served in the same base. I grew up around military folks. And I mean, that's like a a first, it it happens. And as you begin to make these connections, like, oh, you were in this group? Uh, It happened with me when I was in college when I'd find someone from Washington. Like, oh, you're from Washington. And they were on the other side of the state and I had never met them before in my life, but all of a sudden I felt this common kinship because... We're from the same state, the great state of Washington, and and you know now every once in a while I, I get weirded out sometimes if I'm in if I'm in Erie and I see a New York license plate I'm like oh look someone else is from New York and I forget like it's like ten minutes uh, across the road but it's I'm like oh look other New York people <laughs> it's like no big deal but now if I see a a, a north northwest license plate out here I'm like oh I wonder if I know them you know because they have an Idaho license plate I've never even met anybody in Idaho but I feel like we have something in common. The northwest corner of the United States, you know, what I mean? but that's what—that's that feeling that I have when I suffer with Christ. That I am sharing in something, though it's a very small part. I'm sharing in something that Christ shared, and I'm in a Kind of a reminder to me: I'm doing something right, and that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. You're—you're—you're you're, you're being persecuted for righteousness in my name's sake. You're doing something right. It Doesn't feel right. But you're doing something right because this is what this is. This is how i have told you it's going to be. Number two, when I, I can rejoice because I glorify God in doing so. We see that in verse 14. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you on, on their part. Is you, on your, uh, the, the last part of the verse there. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. When you're reproached for the name of Christ, he's glorified in you because you're being reproached. But notice at the end there in verse number um. Uh, Verse number 16. uh, Verse number 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So if I suffer in the right way as a Christian, not as a busybody, not as a murderer, and all these other things, but if I suffer because I'm being a Christian, because I'm pursuing righteousness, because I am suffering for the name of Christ, I'm glorifying God in this. And then the third thing here is that when I suffer, I rejoice because I'm learning to trust God more. Look in verse 19. It says that, wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Those of you who suffer, commit your soul to him, to the creator. Commit your soul to the one who knows what's going on. Commit yourself. Put yourself in God's hands and saying, all right, God, I'm trusting you for this. And you know what? Those are some of the things that we get at when we go through hard times. How's this going to work? You know, because, you know, when we think of, you know, our church is not going to grow if they make it illegal to be a Christian. And how is the gospel going to be spread if you kill people who want to be Christians? You know, we read the Old Testament or the New Testament. We think, wow, I mean, how is how does that work? And yet it's through the persecution that the gospel spread. They learn to trust in God more. And we've talked about this several times. There is a there is a uh, an inverse proportion, if you will, to the comfort of the church and the effectiveness of the church and when the stakes get higher and it gets a little bit more uncomfortable you'd think oh that's when people back off and say no i'm not going to do that anymore but that's when it really starts to take over and when things get easy when things get get comfortable and get light we say you know what life is good let's sit back and let's throw our feet up and we we're not as committed as we once were look at the, look at the time in, in history we live right now are we more committed than we were before as a whole, Christianity, are Christians more committed than they were? And then look at the persecution level. We're not persecuted to any, le- to any extent like they were at any other time in history. It is kind of a popular thing to be a Christian right now if you're running for office. You know, if you, you, know, you score a touchdown, and it's not uncommon now to see some guy you know, make some sort of spiritual remark to them, whether or not he knows what he's saying. Uh, you know, we still have these, we still have God bless America on our coins we still have uh, all of these uh, these monuments all over the, the the you know our country with symbolic uh, references to the scriptures but at the same time we're not better off than we were uh, 100, 100 200 400 years ago uh, in the world as far as christianity goes so there's a there's a difference here so as i learn to be, so i don't need to shy away from persecution and i need to learn to trust god more during those time and you know what the one thing and the last thing i want to share with you here And I keep, I can't get over the fact that God even blesses us in the first place. There's no need, God doesn't have to bless us. And yet, over and over again, He tells us in Matthew 5, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. And I keep thinking, why? Why do you bless someone who is poor in spirit? Why do you bless someone who is so like me? Why do you bless me? And yet He does. More than I count, more than I say thank you for. More than I even recognize, He blesses us. And it's amazing every step along the way, at every step. There's a, there's a song that uh, about 10 years ago, I guess it was pretty popular. I remember hearing it everywhere in, in, in our church and different places. And it's just the song was about, I have been blessed. And, I, and it was just a, a recounting of all of the things that God has done in my life. Let me challenge you today, sometime today or this week, just to take some time and think about God has blessed me and then fill in the blank. How has God blessed you? Don't wait till Thanksgiving when when it's popular to be thankful. And you don't have to say I'm thankful for it, but just recognizing the fact that God has blessed me with and begin. If you want to write it out on a piece of paper, get a big piece, because it's probably going to take up a lot. Uh, But don't feel like you've got to take an hour to do it. Just take some time and, and, and think about the fact that God has blessed you in many, many ways more ways than you could ever count, more ways than I would ever imagine. And one day, maybe when we get to heaven, we're going to find out, really, God's, this is how many times I, here's the roll, and it rolls out the door. Here's all the ways that I blessed you that you never even paid attention to or that you were too dense to realize. That will be me. Uh, but he's blessed us. And I think that's an incredible thought. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a wonderful idea. Next, uh, Now, as it moves into uh, the next verse... Verse eleven, I'm sorry. Verse thirteen through sixteen are the finish of the introduction when he talks about salt and light. That's discipleship. We're going to talk about that on Sunday morning, and then he gets into the rest of his sermon. It's a long sermon, and uh, I just am amazed that Jesus could stand there, sit there, and teach all of that, and and people would get all of that, and something that takes us weeks and weeks and weeks to really dig into it and still never really get get all. It's just amazing to me. I hope you hope you'll be here for each of those. If you can't make it, at least catch the recordings or something, catch up. Read ahead with us, and uh, stay with us on that. Let's pray, and we will...